Summer Special in August 2021. Summertime and the listening is easy. Let's dive into summer fun with some beach time and sea bathing and then picnics and summer food, Tudor style. So kick back, get some sun, and enjoy a journey to summer's past. This week, we're back with Brigitte Webster of Tudor and 17th Century Experience. I can't thank Brigitte enough for sharing so much time with us. And now, back to our conversation. What might be an appealing food to eat outside? What kinds of things might go on a picnic? So if Elizabeth's going hunting, the Queen's going hunting, what food might be brought along? for her and those with her to eat? That's very interesting. I just last week provided a Tudor authentic picnic for a reactment group um, uh, who present Henry and his six wives. So I had to do quite uh, a lot of in-depth research in what was royal enough could be taken uh, into (laughs) the wilderness, wouldn't uh, go off, um, uh, and also were tasty enough to be eaten cold. And I produced, let me find the list. Yeah, I produced 24 items that were suitable. And I started, obviously, bread. Bread went along with every meal. Um, That goes without saying. But I also made them uh, spinach fritters, which are basically little dough dumplings with cooked spinach inside. They are lovely. Pies, obviously pies. All sorts of pies, because pies, even today, you can eat cold and warm. It doesn't matter. They both taste very, very nice either way. And um, I have chosen meat that was considered appropriate for the season, because the uh, the, the English always went with the season. So I produced uh, lamb and beef pies. And chicken pies with gooseberries. And it's delicious. Gooseberries were one of the most popular Tudor fruits. And you find it used in particular with chicken dishes and in chicken pies, but also preserved. Lovely. And obviously the the cheese uh, pie, the cheese tart, the a very famous tart out of Lent, but it's delicious. And salads. I made them six different salads because salads start to appear more and more on the Tudor table. 
At the beginning, very rare, but from about the mid-century on, you see more and more salad. First, the boiled salads, which were basically nothing more than, for instance, asparagus and spinach boiled and then mixed with uh, vinegar and a little bit of oil, salt and pepper. And that was it. That was <laughs> their boiled salad. Uh, but also they pickled. They started to pickle uh, uh, vegetables like samphire. Now, samphire is something not many people have heard of. I've come to absolutely adore. Samphire is uh, a plant that grows around the coast of England, and in particular, East Anglia. It tastes naturally salty, has a bit of a spongy substance to it, and it looks like miniature asparagus. And they boil that and um, pickle that, and it makes the most wonderful salad. Um, even my very... <laughs> picky daughter uh, decided that that's actually really nice and it goes so well with the fish so yes and when they when the tutors talk about cucumber salad they actually mean the little gherkins you know the pickled gherkins and not the big cucumbers as we know them um and of course there was no no meal, even a picnic in Tudor England without the famous banqueting food. So, yeah, lots of little comfits and uh, fruit jellies and um, biscuits and candied gooseberries and conserved pears and obviously the ever so delicious fruit tarts. Now, Tudor fruit tarts are to die for. Even if you refuse to eat any Tudor food, you must try a fruit tart because they are so much better than any fruit tart we produce in the 21st century. And obviously, they make use of all the summer fruits like strawberry, cherry, gooseberry, uh, sometimes uh, early damson or plums, but most of them um, in the summer tend to be made from the berries that they had available. But when I talk about strawberries, I do mean the very small wild strawberry and not the lush, big, juicy one we know, of course. That we own uh, oh, to the Americans who started to produce big, juicy strawberries way before we did and were first introduced to England in the late 17th century. So here in England, we had to wait longer for the big strawberries as we know them today. Well, that sounds like a marvelous feast for that group of reenactors and a terrifically wonderful picnic certainly fit for royals and i can imagine something elizabeth 
and her group would have enjoyed as well. So I know I have just loved watching your social media posts and your images of the food. It's just so beautiful. And it seems to me from, from that, that tutors really were concerned about or were interested in the way food appeared. Is that true? Were they real interested in the appearance of their food? Did that make them feel like it was better? Yes, definitely. Food presentation was the most important because um, to them, food was a lot more important than to us. That you have to uh, confess. We eat because we are hungry. Uh, that's why we eat fast food. Let's be honest. It's not the presentation <laughs> that appeals. <laughs> right. Uh, but food to the Tudors was so much more. It showed who you were. You ate what you were, uh, you wanted to be portrayed as. Um, and the higher up, in your social standing, the more you had to put an effort into what the food looked like. And the Tudors liked it colourful. We know that because their fashion, their clothes were colourful. We know because the interior of their rooms were just a a splash of colour. And the same you see in food. And... um, their most probably their most popular way to decorate their food was with fresh flower petals, but they also achieved uh, color through the inclusion of some spices. Sometimes, like saffron, mm. produces a lovely deep golden yellow. Uh, they would use spinach for green. Um, uh, they would use um, blue flowers like borage uh, to produce a hint of blue. Not everything worked as well as uh, saffron, uh, but the presentation of food was one of the most important things. And we still eat with our eyes, and so did the Tudors. And um, I love, absolutely love, playing around, producing a recipe that in itself probably doesn't look too exciting and then make it look like a piece of art, but sticking to what the Tudors had available. I I go out of my way making sure that whatever I use was available and was actually used by the Tudors in that particular month. Oh, that's that's wonderful. So that things that you've produced exactly. in July would be available in July kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. At, okay. absolutely. And this is why I'm, uh, the, the cookery book I'm working on currently is all about seasonal to the food and recipes. So I help and guide people to Mm -hmm. cook Tudor throughout the year. And we discover together what was available when Mm -hmm. and how it possibly was 
was used. And uh, the publisher was very cooperative in my request to put in lots and lots of pictures because I said it's it's essential. People need to see what mm-hmm. it can look like because when you look at the recipe, you think, oh, oh that looks dull and uninviting. <laughs> Definitely not inspiring. And I said, I want to see people how you can make this, what doesn't look so inspiring at first glance, into a piece of art and hopefully get more people to follow into my footsteps. So, Oh, yeah. that's, that is wonderful. And I cannot wait. How soon will that book be coming out? Well, you know, <laughs> I... I am aiming to have it finished by the end of this year and how long the publisher then takes to have it ready to go for publication. I don't know, but perhaps in 2022, possibly 23, you know, with with, uh, COVID, everything seems to be delayed and taking longer. But I I don't want to get rushed. Uh, I really feel it it does need time. And I can't provide a cookbook before the end of this year, because I need to cook along right up to the end of the year in season. That's that's wonderful. And uh, you do already have a wonderful cookery book out. Do you want to just tell people a little bit about that? Uh, yes, that, that that was actually never meant to be a book as such. It's more a little collection of banqueting food with pictures that I have gathered. It was more for myself. But I found that so many other people really loved the whole concept of it. And I'm still selling copies, <laughs> which uh, right. still amazes me. But it, it basically gives you a little introduction and history to English banqueting food, what it's all about, where it came from, and how it was carried out. And then followed by original, authentic recipes Uh, which I have sometimes modernized because sometimes they are um, uh, not easy to cook or or to um, carry out because if you're not a very accomplished cook, you sometimes look at the two-sentence instructions and say, where's the rest? what ingredients do I use? Because often it's assumed that you knew. And uh, having cooked myself through Tudor food for several years now, I know when they give a particular term what they mean by that and what right. ingredients I need to get in order to fulfill that particular part of the recipe. And so I, I sometimes uh, fill those voids in which then has to be called modernized, even though it's still the authentic recipe, but I just fill in the gaps that were in the original recipe. And then obviously a a color picture to show people, look, this is how it looks. Okay, you might look at the recipe and you think, what's that meant to look like? I have no idea. It gives you an idea. 
And, and that, that's wonderful. And I have a copy and I am not by any means um, a skilled cook, but it is beautiful just to look at. So I highly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you. And I can't wait for the next one. Now, what would you say if you had to choose a couple of favorite summer Tudor foods as you're cooking through the year? What are some favorites for this summer? Ah, that's a very good question. Um, Now, I personally prefer fish to meat, and I love salmon. Mm. I have discovered this salmon salad by Thomas Dawson, which was published in 1596 in in his uh, jewel. And that, to me, is absolutely wonderful. It's basically all it is, doesn't need any expertise in cooking. It's if you take a piece of salmon and you grill it or you fry it and then dress it in a little bit of mild vinegar, so a mild one like white wine vinegar and olive oil, and then add a little bit of pepper on top and very quickly fry um, onion, but but not until it goes all soft, just gently, very quickly to take, take off that sharpness and put that on top. Oh, you will be amazed. On a hot day, this is just out of the world. The original recipe says uh, decorate with some violet flowers, which I find interesting because violets do not flower in England in the summer. At the latest, um, usually they start appearing in March. If you're lucky, you still have some by April but definitely not in the summer. So what I think he meant was that it probably was um, uh, heart's ease, which is similar to the violet, but obviously comes in more colors, but it's the same family. So I think he probably meant use that instead. And that flowers all through the summer, um, the wild variety I constantly fight with in my vegetable garden has <laughs> got tiny, tiny flowers, but uh, the more cultivated garden variety has fingernail-sized flowers, and they, they make it be- look the fish beautiful. So, yes, uh, I think Thomas Dawson's salmon salad is my summer tip of oh, that's wonderful. And and so it sounds like if you would add, I mean, I wouldn't think of adding any kind of flowers to dress a salmon, but so it sounds like, you know, those flower petals, as you said, were just a really common way of yeah. making your meal look beautiful and appealing. The, 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 what I have observed, though, is that recently very posh restaurants started to do the same. They sprinkle fresh flowers on your food, uh, only they don't always understand 
that not all flowers are suitable for food, which I find quite interesting, where the tutors understood very well which flowers were edible and would not cause any harm, uh, and uh, others were not. But the, the, there is a similar, very classic case. I'm not going to mention any names, but I, I just find it hilarious. In England, we have a few um, very famous TV chefs. Some are famous in America. Others have not made it across the pond. But anyway, one uh, of that lot was featuring a lot on TV and he recommended that you should use hemlock in your salad. He mixed up hemlock with a uh, fat hen herb, oh. <laughs> not realizing that hemlock is dead poisonous yes ruined his career you never ever heard of that particular chef ever again and I think it was four or five years ago when he in a news article mixed up hemlock with fat hen fat, fat hen is actually lovely it's um it pops up everywhere in the English garden it's a real weed but it can be used instead of spinach. And it's very nutritious. It has a very gentle taste, absolutely harmless. But to mix that up with hemlock, and I, to draw your attention to, even with flowers, you have to understand which flowers you can use because not all of them are good for us. And also, if you go for bought flowers, uh, you have to assume that they are covered in pesticides. So you don't want those chemicals in your digestive system either. So if you use um, flowers dried or fresh on your food, I do recommend that you grow them yourself. And then you know that they are perfect to be harvested and no harm done. And they're fresh. You know, you, it's so lovely to go outside into your garden, pick a few and put them on your salad and dish them up. Oh, beautiful. You can't beat it. <laughs> well, and that's the way the tutors would have done it. They certainly yeah, would have yeah. just used and you don't their need, own. You don't need a big garden for that either. You, even if you only have a little balcony. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have one or two pots where you grow your choice flowers. Uh, one I would always recommend is pot marigold because pot marigold, A, you can't kill. It grows everywhere, anywhere. Um, it looks lovely and it was considered to be medicinal as well uh, on many accounts. Uh, and the same goes with borage flower. The only problem with borage flour is you can really only use it fresh. It does not lend itself to be dried um, and it grows rather big. So if you have a tiny win uh, window sill, it might not be the perfect plant for you. <laughs> but, but those are some wonderful, very doable suggestions. So 
Brigitte, this has just been a marvelous journey. Um, I just wanted to end with, of course, I know banqueting, it seems like the, the proper place to end a meal and a proper place to end a discussion. And speaking of the visual presentation, I have been just astounded at what you and your very talented daughter have created in some of the banqueting um, treats that you have made. So can you just give us a sense of some of the just beautiful banqueting specialties that might come at the end, you know, after you've walked through the garden, you're eating outside, you know, what are some of the real treats, those beautiful pieces that might come at the end of a Tudor meal or a Tudor picnic? Yes, you are referring to the subtleties. Mm-hmm. Yes, the subtleties. And the subtleties were made out of sugar paste or march paint and were made by special artisans. So that was not made by the cook. Um, These were special artisans, and it's very difficult to work with them. I can assure you, because my daughter and I have been doing this, but it was the perfect way to send out a message at the end to your dinner guests. Because all these subtleties spoke a language. We are no longer so good at (laughs) reading that language, but the Tudors would always have known what the subtlety that had just been placed in front of you told you. Now, if Queen Elizabeth always used the summer to go on progress and she loved going to visit her people and she knew exactly who had the nicest houses to stay in and it was considered a huge honour. So your guest, your host would have found a theme for the subtlety that made Queen Elizabeth felt appreciated, admired, beloved, and special. Um, and people would have found a way to, to put that into sugary w- words. Um, but I think um, in the summer of 1575, uh, uh, she came to Norfolk. So that, therefore, is one that I uh, look into a lot. And she stayed down in a neighbouring property called um, Kimberley. And we know that the people who lived here in our house by then were no longer knighted nobility. So therefore, they couldn't host her. But they were sure enough to be invited to the big feasts. And Elizabeth came to Norfolk to check out um, the Catholics because Tudor Norfolk was littered with Catholics in Elizabethan time. And she didn't quite trust them, as we know the history of it. But she especially came to check them out. So I think if I was 
the person to host Elizabeth in 1575 here in Norfolk, I would have chosen a theme that made her understand that even though I was a Catholic, I am her obedient servant for good. So whatever that was, I would have put that into a piece of subtlety so she would have seen that piece of subtlety coming in and she would have known, yeah, okay, might be a Catholic here, but, yeah, he is my humble, trustworthy, obedient servant. He's okay. I'm not going to have him arrested. (laughs) So subtleties could save your life. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I think I certainly could. And she, we all know she had a sweet tooth. Mm -hmm. uh, So she would have enjoyed eating them as much as. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's just the perfect note. I think to end on the power and beauty and messaging of Tudor food, a summertime progress as we are all sort of enjoying our own summertime, maybe some travels for us as well. But I want to thank you, Brigitte, for spending all of this time and sharing so much expertise with us. It has been just a thrilling treat. So please tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your wonderful um, offerings, the book that's coming up, the book you have, and if they want to immerse themselves in a tutor experience, how do they do that? Well, they can go on my website, which uh, is the tutorexperience.com, or they can follow me on Instagram, which is the tutor experience. Um, I'm also on Twitter and obviously on Facebook, and that's the Tudor and 17th century experience, because I do both. Um, I cater for the Tudors and I cater for the Stuarts. (laughs) That's great. The Stuarts get overlooked sometimes, so I appreciate your saying that. Well, and I will have some links, of course, in the show notes. But thank you, thank you again. This has been a wonderful way to spend some time and to learn more about the way tutors experienced and celebrated summer and harvest, the way they sort of sat down with people they might not sit down with in other times of the season, but really celebrated a good harvest and right up to those those wonderful subtleties served to Queen Elizabeth to cap off our discussion and her meal. So thank you, Brigida, and thank you everyone for listening and have a wonderful summer. Thank you for joining me for Summer Fun with Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. Hope you had a great time. I'm getting ready to launch season two in September. Big news great guests, and lots of fun with your favorite Royals, Rebels, and Romantics. Enjoy your August, stay safe, and let's keep shaking up history together. (music) 